we're going to talk about the compassion of Jesus Christ. I really, really am excited to share with y'all this morning. We're going to be studying as we continue our series through Luke out of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. If y'all want to flip there or scroll there on your iPhones, whatever you got to do to get there, I'll give you a second. And then uh, I just, I just want to pray and lift up this time and once again, just ask God to do what only he can do in this time. I really, I just expect God to speak to every one of our hearts in a very powerful, life-changing way today. But I know that as much as I want to be able to do it with my own words and my own articulation, that's not going to do it. It has to be God. So I'm just going to humble myself before him and ask him to do that in our time this morning. So Jesus we just come before you and thank you once again for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your kindness and your tender mercies that while we were yet sinners, you died on the cross. Knowing all the times that we would fail you, that we would reject you, that we would run from you, that we would betray you, you still hung there. And I'm humbled by that, Lord that you call people like me out of the darkness into your light and that you use people like me as an agent of that miracle. So, Lord, this morning, I don't want to just go through the motions again. I just preached the same message 20 minutes ago, and it's easy to just feel like I'm going to go through the motions again and then go eat lunch. So please, God, Please, God, I humble myself before you. Do what only you can do in speaking to our hearts. Let your spirit breathe into our hearts now. In Jesus' name I ask, to the downcast, to the brokenhearted, to those in misery and in need, I pray that the compassion of Jesus would show up in a very real, intangible way. That we would find all we need in your mercy, in your kindness, in your tenderness, Lord Jesus, you are gentle with us this morning. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, we need a compassionate Savior like you. And in turn, God, I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would change my heart, that you would make my heart more like yours, God, that you would give us a heart and a burden, a physical pain inside of us, God, to get this message outside of these four walls, out into the world that is lost and dying and hopeless without you, God, creating a burden that is so from you that we would be moved to take action to further your kingdom on this earth. That's why we're here. So in Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. So I read a story, uh, a few weeks ago about two brothers growing up in South Africa. The older brother, of course, he was the tall, handsome, athletic brother who had everything going for him. While the younger brother, he was sort of the runt of the family. He was the oddball out. He was actually physically hunchbacked. However, the one gift that this kid had and his greatest passion was singing. He had just an incredible singing voice. But uh, as the story goes, they're in school one day and the little brother, he gets cornered basically by a group of bullies and they circle up around him. They start calling him names and they start pushing him and shoving him and smacking him. And next thing you know, one of the bullies rips off his shirt. They expose his hunchback. 
Very quickly, the word travels down the hall to the older brother who was well-respected in the school, and he had the opportunity to go and put an end to it. However, to protect his own reputation, he decided not to do anything. The older brother betrayed the younger brother by what he failed to do in that moment. As the story goes on, the younger brother went home. He isolated himself. He became a loner. He fell into depression. He never sang again after that moment. While the older brother, he was actually shipped off to Palestine during World War II to fight for his nation. One of of the lonely nights he had under the stars there in Palestine, he began to feel a burden for his little brother and The guilt took him back to that moment where he had the opportunity to step in for his brother, yet he chose not to do anything. And the burden was too much in that moment that he decided to make the long, dangerous wartime journey back to South Africa. And there he confronted his little brother where they spent almost an entire evening staying up, him asking for forgiveness, hugging, embracing, loving on his brother. They wept together and there they reconciled. As the story goes, the older brother, he went to bed only to be wakened up about an hour later to the beautiful harmonious sound of his little brother singing at the top of his lungs for the first time in years. I read that story and I thought, man, that's a beautiful act of compassion. And that's what I believe we see in Jesus in the Gospels, where every time we see Jesus was moved with compassion. Notice, you'll see that phrase over and over as you study the Gospels. Each time he was moved with compassion, it is always, always followed by action. Whether it was feeding a hungry crowd, healing a sick person, forgiving the sinner, the compassion of Jesus always set free the song within the individual A song of liberation, a song of life, joy, and peace, a song of healing and restoration. This is the compassion of Jesus Christ. This was his ministry. And as crazy as it may sound to you this morning, he has called each and every one of us to imitate him in this. (laughs) But if I'm going to be honest with myself this morning, loving like Jesus, loving our neighbors, loving our enemies even, That isn't something that comes natural to any one of us in this me-centered universe. If anything, it completely contradicts everything in us. Yet my goal and my prayer, my heart this morning is that we as a church, that our lives and our ministries, notice I said our ministries, all of us, that our lives and our ministries would imitate the life and the ministry of Jesus himself. Yeah, this means getting up, getting out there, separating ourselves from our comfortable religious communities, getting out into the messy, godless world right before your eyes and extending the compassionate love of Jesus Christ to uh, to those who otherwise have no hope. It's not going to be easy. But after all, this is the assignment of the church. I want to take you to Luke chapter 10 now. As I said, we're going to start out in verse 25. Verse 25. 
says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to, to inherit eternal life? So notice the emphasis right away. It's on do. It's a religious focus. What do I do? The focus is on duty, not relationship. It's all about works, nothing to do with the heart. Jesus responds to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, and he answered, we've all heard this before. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, notice this now, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So first of all, as, as we get into this, talk about extending the compassion to others in our lives I first believe in order for this to happen, we must experience the compassion of Jesus. We must experience the compassion of Jesus for ourselves. That as we experience more and more of his kindness, of his tenderness towards us in our misery and need, our lives will inevitably become an extension of his compassionate love. So jumping into this text now, we see the lawyer here like, I, I read this story and I kind of feel bad for the lawyer. It's like, dude, just shut up while you're still ahead and get out of there. He reminds me of me a lot. Growing up as a middle brother, I was always the antagonist. I had a big mouth. I always wanted to get the last word, but I always got myself in trouble. Still do a little bit, so pray for my big mouth. But the, the lawyer, he's obviously an expert in the law. His job in that day was to interpret the law of Moses just as a modern day lawyer would interpret the constitution. But understand, because he was such an expert in the law that he had every intention of making Jesus look like a fool in this moment. Yet Jesus, even though he didn't attend Harvard Law, was no fool in the matters of the law. As the Jewish custom was, he returned the question with another question. Jesus asks, well, how do you read it? That question doesn't really mean anything to us, but it was a very common question that lawyers would ask amongst themselves. For example, two lawyers would be discussing a certain matter of the law, and the one would ask, well, what's your interpretation on this matter? And the other one, before he would give it, he would say, well, how do you read it? So the dude who ended up asking the question first would have to go first. Of course, we know what the lawyer didn't hear. Jesus Christ the fullness of the Godhead bodily not only wrote the law, but he came to fulfill it. So a quick lesson we learned here this morning. Don't throw a pop quiz at the author of the book. <laughs> the lawyer, of course, he gives the right answer and Jesus says, perfect, now go out and do it. And right here, notice the conversation could have very well ended, but the lawyer insisted on asking another question. He says, well, who is my neighbor, Jesus I don't even know why he asked the question because at this point, Jesus had not said one condemning word. He simply said, your answer's right, now go and live it. But it's almost like the lawyer feels condemned and he sees the need to justify himself at this point. As I really look at it, the lawyer couldn't let the matter go because there was something about being in the presence of Jesus that he felt condemned by his own words. So he feels like he has to, to wrestle himself out of this one by you know, redefining the word neighbor, twisting it around just enough to where he could justify himself once again in his complacency and in his self-righteousness. He attempts to find a loophole in the law that would exclude his responsibility to love others. Obviously, being a lawyer, he knew that God wanted him to love others, period. 
but he seeks to find a loophole that would exclude his responsibility to love others by writing them off as non-neighbors. As I read the story, I ask myself, how often have you and I done the same thing? How often do you hide behind scripture to justify your own selfish pursuits? Well, praise the Lord, brother. God forgives 70 times seven. Hallelujah. How often do you copy and paste scripture to promote your own agenda? Well, I know Jesus says something about loving my enemies and praying for them, but I'm pretty sure David says somewhere in the Old Testament something about hating our enemies. So I'm going to hang out over here. Who are your non-neighbors this morning? Let's be honest. We all got them. I got them. Who are your non-neighbors? Who have you written off? It could be anybody. It could be atheists, liberals, co-workers, Baptists, blacks, the homeless community, the homosexual community, Muslims. Let's be honest with ourselves. Who are our non-neighbors? Because Jesus right here in this moment He's about to expose the very shallow thinking of the lawyer. And for some of us, he's about to expose our shallow thinking. He goes on to tell one of the most repeated stories in the New Testament, the parable that we've all heard of the Good Samaritan. He goes on in verse 30. He says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed. As y'all know, the story goes on. The, The priest and the Levite both pass by. They see the man in his need, half dead, and they willfully pass by. But then it picks up in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, what was followed in verse 34, it says, he went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And it says he takes him to an end and he cares for him. Now, this is where I want us to go this morning. But first, let's take a second to look at the crime scene. This takes place, this parable Jesus describes on a 15-mile stretch between Jericho and Jerusalem on a road so treacherous that it actually was given the name the Pass of Blood. Now, as many as 12,000 priests lived in Jericho in that time, and they would use this road when they would commute to Jerusalem for their temple service as priests. So the, the lawyer, he would understand as well as anybody the context here as Jesus tells him this story that the priest and the Levite are literally on their way back from Jerusalem, fulfilling the most important duty in their lives, that is temple service as a priest. So now more so than ever before, it would have made sense that these guys would have been so anxious and grateful to see a man in his need and meet that need. However, just as we see here in the scripture, it says that they both saw the man in need and willfully passed by on the other side. The lawyer understood in this story that both of these guys were in direct disobedience to the law of Moses. Yet we see here with all of their religious strokes, with all of their correct theology, they willfully passed by on the other side, ignoring the need of this man, leaving him out half dead. And once again, I read that story and ask how often have we done the same thing? When was the last time you and I willfully passed by on the other side? I'm going to be honest. I had one of these experiences not too long ago. It was actually the Sunday morning we got back from New York City from our missions trip. And uh, I was 
on my way to church. I overslept a little bit. I was running late already, but I had to stop and get gas. And there I'm filling up, getting ready to come to church. And this sweet old Southern lady comes up to me and asks me a question. She says, young man, would you mind checking out my all for me? And I'm like, okay, let's hold up for a second. I'm going to take you through my, it was like two seconds, my thought process here, but I'm going to take you through it. So first of all, I've only been in the South now for about two years in July. And uh, I still struggle with certain people to understand what they're saying or certain words just to understand because the Southern accent's a little thick sometimes for me. So this, this lady, she says, would you mind checking out my all? And first of all, I'm thinking, number one, what is all? And number two, that sounds pretty nasty. But then suddenly it started to dawn on me. I make the connection in my head. I was at a, a Georgia football game uh, because my wife graduated from UGA and her stepdad's um, big time alum there and goes to the game. So they invited us to a game. And I remember I was presented with these peanuts. They called them bold peanuts. And I was eating one. I'm like, what makes these peanuts so bold? And they're like, no, it's, it's not bold. It's bold. I'm like, oh, what they're trying to say is boiled peanuts. So then I made, I made the connection that this lady, she's asking me to check her oil for her. We say oil in the rest of the United States. So it, it dawned, it dawned on me in this moment, she wants me to take time out of my busy schedule to check her oil. Does she even know how busy my schedule is. I'm on my way to church right now to serve the Lord Jesus. And so I'm thinking in my head, like, come on, lady. And then it dawned on me that in my heart, I failed the test before it even began. Of course, I helped her out, but I failed the test because there was no compassion in my heart. So understand, we have these opportunities all around us, but we pass by on the other side when we judge, stereotype, and others because they're not like us. We pass by on the other side when we assume our agenda to be more important. We pass by on the other side when we come and sit in church on Sundays as consumers without ever marketing Jesus to this lost and dying world Monday through Saturday. We pass by on the other side. And just like these religious people with all their correct theology, we flunk the ultimate test when we have the opportunity to love somebody in need, yet fail to do so. But Jesus goes on to commend the Good Samaritan for one very simple reason. What is that? He acted. He acted. <laughs> you, you read the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and it's funny because that's an oxymoron in and of itself. If you understand the cultural history there between the Jews and the Samaritans, there was nobody more despised by the Jew of that day than the Samaritan. So on the other side of the coin, it was unthinkable that a Samaritan would be willing to befriend this helpless Jew on this dangerous road that normally Samaritans wouldn't even dare traveling, yet Jesus he presents this story, and this is unthinkable to the lawyer as he listens to this. So I read the story and put myself in his shoes, and I think, well, why not revenge? You know, if, if I'm in his shoes and I see this opportunity, this man who's literally hated on my people and spat on my people, we're all alone on this road. Why not take the opportunity for revenge? Nobody's going to find out, right? But it says he did not do that because he had compassion. Notice this. He helped out 
This helpless Jew, half dead, not because it made sense or culturally it was the right thing to do. No, he helped out for one reason, because he was moved with compassion. In this moment, the law of the heart trumps the law of the land. This Samaritan, understand, through this one act of compassion, he's breaking down every ethnic, cultural, racial, socioeconomic barrier. This is huge to the lawyer as he listens to this story from Jesus. But let's not get too caught up in applauding the good Samaritan that we miss the bigger picture. You see, Jesus tells this story for one reason, to point the lawyer, to point us strategically to his heart. He tells this story as an illustration of his ministry of compassion. Recently, I read an interesting story about an old Hasidic rabbi who taught that he had learned the true meaning of love by two drunken peasants he observed one night in a tavern. As the story goes, he was in the Polish countryside and he stopped off at this tavern and there he observed two peasants sitting at the bar. At this point, it was apparent that Miller time had begun a long time ago and there they sat arguing their undying love for one another when all of a sudden Ivan speaks up to Peter. He says, Peter, tell me what hurts me. Peter at this point, looking a little confused, he said, well, Ivan, how do I know what hurts you? To which Ivan responded, if you don't know what hurts me, then how can you say that you love me? What makes the compassion of our Savior unique is that Jesus knows what hurts us. John 2, 25, he didn't need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in man. Jesus knew what hurt people then and he knows what hurts us now. I mean, come on, we, we see Jesus love others the way he loves us with a love that escapes human comprehension. We see this all throughout his life and ministry, whether it be the brokenhearted prostitute weeping helplessly at his feet or the adulterous woman fearing for her life, or the desperate Samaritan woman with her long track record of failed relationships. Jesus somehow, through the lens of compassion, sees past our man-made walls. He perceives the deeper need within. He sympathizes with the pain in our souls, and he offers hope where there is none. So, I want to talk about two things as we wrap this up this morning. I want to talk about first, experiencing this compassion for ourselves. And number two, I want to talk about extending this compassion to others. So first, compassion experience. It says here in verse 33 that he had compassion. The literal verb translation means that he was moved with compassion. Now that word compassion comes from the Greek noun splankna, which if you break down the original meaning of this word, it goes very deep in its physical flavor than just what we think of as compassion. It's a literal reference to the guts, to the intestines, to the bowels. Literally the, the most inward parts out of which the deepest emotions arise. So in Jesus's ministry, when we see he was moved with compassion, he was literally wrenched in his gut. His heart was physically torn. The most vulnerable part of his being was laid bare. Stirred in his bowels, Jesus literally identifies with the depths of human suffering. Think about it, the incarnation of Christ. He, he came to earth 
God put skin and bones on, and then he put your shoes on. He identifies with the lost. He becomes lost with them. He weeps with those who weep. He hurts with those who hurt and offers hope to those who otherwise don't have any. And we see where compassion reaches its climax at the cross where Jesus identifies with death itself so that you and I who were once dead in sin might be made alive. Come on, somebody, if that's good news this morning. But it's the compassion of Jesus. God knows what hurts you. God knows what hurts you. Just as we see in this story, he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to meet us at our very worst, to take our place and to give life when all else seemed lost. For some of you, you need to know this, you need to experience this today, that you're at that place in your journey where it feels like everything's just closing in. But you need to be reminded that in midst of your misery and in midst of your need, the relentless tenderness, the compassion of Jesus knocks at the door saying, begging you, just let me love you. Just let him love you. This is the compassion of Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he sees us with tender, gracious, gentle eyes. This is our Savior. Have you experienced this type of love for yourself? Because when we experience this compassion for ourselves, I believe it is impossible to not extend it. The second thing I want to talk about quickly is compassion extended. Now, I really do believe with all my heart that it's impossible to extend compassion or to, to really live compassionately and extend compassion to others until we first extended it to ourselves. Now, follow me on this. As I've said before, in the church, there's a shocking disconnect between the delight that God our Father has for his children and the disgust and the self-hatred that so many of us have for ourselves. I really do believe it all goes back to our flawed concept of God. Through your own experiences and through your own insecurities, you've somehow projected those onto God, making him way too small, making him way too human. So all of a sudden, God has become just as unloving and unforgiving, just as fussy, narrow-minded, and judgmental as you are. And while you're fed up with yourself, so you're convinced, God must be fed up with you too. Yet when we see God for who he really is, when we catch just a glimpse of who he is, that he's a God of infinite patience, of boundless grace, when we experience the gut-wrenching compassion of our Savior, it will cause us to be gracious towards ourselves. When we realize that he is infinitely tender with us, it will cause us to be tender with ourselves. So let me ask you all the question. Raise your hand if you believe God loves you. Of course, most of us, we, we believe it, right? Most of us have been around in church long enough. Some of us feel like, well, theologically, I have to raise my hand and say, yes, I know God loves me. The Bible tells me so. But what if I were to ask you the question, do you believe God likes you? Think about that. I believe your answer to this question would be a total game changer. 
You see, when we not only believe God loves us, but that he actually likes us, this type of tenderness we experience with our heavenly father as his child, it awakens a security deep within the soul that only a child of God can know and experience. I'll be honest with y'all. I'm about six years into my faith journey with Jesus Christ, and I'm just now starting to get it. Just now starting to believe and experience that not only does God love me, but he actually likes me. I mean, I wake up in the mornings now with my coffee, of course, because I can't wake up without coffee. Don't judge me. And, you know, I just, I, I just rejoice after like two cups of coffee. I start just singing and rejoicing because my Abba is so fond of me. He actually likes me. It's a game changer. But you see, it's time that we stop siding with ourselves and start taking sides with Jesus, accept what he says about you as ultimate truth, that he loves you as you are. It's time that we love ourselves as we are. This leads to what Brendan Manning calls the divine double take. That is, loving ourselves frees us up to love others. So we talked about extending compassion to ourselves. Now that will free us up to extend compassion to others. But first, I think it's important in this day and age that, let, let, let me explain, when I talk about extending compassion to others, I'm not up here preaching tolerance. Compassion does not equate to tolerance. I'm not up here preaching hashtag love wins. Jesus never compromised when it came to the truth. The word tells us he came full of grace and truth. However, everything Jesus did, everything he said was always driven and motivated by one motive, and that motive was love. However, I actually do believe that it's the compassion of Jesus Christ that helps us nail down the true definition of one of the most mangled words in our vocabulary, that word being love. Dr. James Shannon puts it very vividly. He says, we use love to describe the motive for the voluntary death of Jesus Christ on Calvary in the subject matter of hard pornographic movies and the intimate union of husband and wife and the unbuttoned promiscuity of Fire Island on a weekend. So as sad as it is, I believe that in a culture where love has been blurred by 50 shades of gray, it's the compassion of Jesus Christ that leaves absolutely zero room for worldly idealism and catchy cliches. Let me, let, me take you back, let me take you back to the scripture and show you. We see in verse 33 where the dude sees the helpless Jew and he's moved with compassion. Then what follows that? It says, he went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He, he literally took care of him. You see, if I could define compassion in one word, it would be this word, action. <laughs> this isn't the type of love that the world's preaching right now. This type of compassionate love is not self-promoting, it is self-crucifying. Compassion has eyes, compassion has hands, compassion has feet, compassion takes action. Now, look at the contrast in this story. The priest and the Levite, they could quote the Ten Commandments in their sleep, but they failed the test because they saw the man in his need and they didn't do anything. But on the other hand, the good Samaritan, he's commended for one reason. He saw the man in his need and he got the warm fuzzies. No, it says he took action. He took action. Now, uh, for example, the last few years, I've been to a couple conferences that we've kind of taken our youth to. And it seems like every conference I've gone to, there's been a, 
a promotion for Compassion International. Y'all ever heard of that organization? Where you have the opportunity to sponsor a child in third world poverty. It's a great organization, but I remember for the past few years, I'd sit there and listen to testimonies of kids who were actually saved out of poverty through one sponsor, and 20 years down the road, they were up there from Africa, we'll say, sharing their testimony of how their sponsor literally changed their lives. And I remember feeling and thinking to myself as I left those conferences, like, man, Trevor, you are so compassionate, man. Like, I can't believe you shed a tear for one of those orphans. But I never did anything because I always wrote it off as, well, I don't really have enough money right now to get behind one of those kids monthly. Thinking back, just in these last few weeks, Brittany and I really started thinking about getting behind one of those kids again, and it kind of hit me as I prepared this message that a tear shed for one of those orphans is nothing more than a mere emotion. Looking back, I realize now that the warm fuzzies do not equate to biblical compassion. No, taking the, the necessary steps to get behind one of these kids and offer them hope in their future, that is biblical compassion. So without even thinking about it, Brittany and I, we, we sat down and we found this beautiful girl named Anna from Brazil who waited almost a year for a sponsor. And we decided she's the one, let's, let's do it. And I realize now that through one very small act of compassion, this might give this little girl hope for her future. And I share this story with y'all this morning, not to convince you that I'm a compassionate person, but to show you that the need is literally all around us. It's in our church, it's in our homes, it's in our workplaces, it's in our community, it's on the streets of Atlanta, it's literally all over the world. But let me ask you this, when you observe the lost and dying world right before your eyes, are you moved in your gut to take action? I'll be honest, most days I'm not. Matthew Fox says, compassion is a spirituality of meat, not of milk, of adults, not children, of love, not masochism, of justice, not philanthropy. It requires maturity, a big heart, a willingness to risk, and imagination. You see, the compassionate call of Jesus on our lives, not only is it kind of scary, but it's a bit offensive to me. You see, when the compassion of Jesus lays hold of our hearts, it confronts the most selfish desires deep down. See, all, all of a sudden, man, the compassionate call of Jesus on my life, it demands that we forsake our desire for self-promotion, for getting ahead of the next guy, for looking out for me and my own. It demands that we forsake our narrow-minded ignorance in the way that we see things and that we get down in the dirt with a messy humanity. Yet it's through the lens of compassion that we see past our differences and into our shared humanity. It's through the lens of compassion that we treat others with the dignity that they deserve. It's through the lens of compassion that we see where others hurt and we offer them a hand up through the hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone. So what does that mean to you and me? Jesus says in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So let me ask you a question. Who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? 
Whether you like it or not, we are all called, not just the pastors and the missionaries, we're all called to a ministry of compassion, a ministry of small things, unglamorous things, unnoticed things even. That means being moved in our gut to take action for the one who's been beat down, stripped down, and robbed of human dignity. Being moved in our gut to stand up and fight for the widow and the divorced, for the sick and the orphan, for the drug addict and the alcoholic, for the homeless beggar on the streets of Atlanta, to the wealthy man who has no perceived need for God. We're to be moved in our gut to stand up and fight against modern day slavery, sex trafficking, and child slavery. We're to be moved in our gut to stand up and fight for the hopelessness of third world poverty and those kids who are out there dying every few seconds because they don't have food on their plate, but we're so busy behind our electronic gadgets. We're to be moved in our gut to stand up and fight for those who've been pushed aside by society, the homosexual community, the Muslim community, as crazy as that might sound here in church, I will say it. That's the compassion of our Christ. It was on uh, January 2nd of 2009 for me where I was at the lowest point in my life. I was a senior in college about to graduate. And uh, I had the opportunity, fortunately, to go to the Dominican Republic. A Dominican pastor and his family who had never met me opened up their house for me to stay a week with them. The crazy thing looking back is that this man cared enough about me, not only to open up his house to me for a week, but to see me in my need and in my wandering and in my pain. This man, he cared enough to see that I needed Jesus in my life, and he cared enough to share Jesus with me. Looking back, I realize now it was one act of compassion, him realizing that God was nowhere close on my radar that what I needed was Jesus. He asked if he could just pray for me. That's all it was. And I look back and I'm like, man, what if he wouldn't have shared Jesus with me because he was afraid of offending me? Where would I be now? I don't know. But no, he was moved with compassion to see me in my helplessness and he prayed for me. And in that moment, me, an atheist and in chains and in bondage to my sin, literally in a moment, I was set free through a real encounter with Jesus Christ himself. It was in a moment that his presence just ambushed my heart like a raging flood, and I just burst into tears, uncontrollable. It felt like it was an eternity where I just sat there in his presence, being healed, being forgiven, being set free. Literally, it was one act of compassion that set free the song within me. Something simple is one prayer, people. Now, six years later, I stand up here, and that song continues to ring out, and it will continue to ring out for all eternity. But it was one small act of compassion. It's incredible. So as, as I close, and I promise you I'm closing now. I know I said that like six times. I would love to say something and encourage y'all say, all right, let's get up and let's go be compassionate, right? But it's not that easy. Like I said, it's not something that we just conjure up. But Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1 that we become partakers of the divine nature, meaning we're caught up in the very life of God himself. So the compassionate call 
to live in a love like Jesus, I believe, is a supernatural empowering through his life-giving spirit as we spend more time with Jesus and experience his compassion that our lives naturally become that extension of his compassion where by his grace we go out and we begin to weep where others weep. We begin to hurt where others hurt. We began to suffer where others suffer and by his grace offer compassion, offer hope to those who otherwise have no hope. So let's be the church that God has called us to be. This message is too good to just leave it right here within these four walls. Let's get out there and let's spread this message to a lost, hurting, dying world. It's right before our eyes. After all, one act of compassion could mean the difference between death and life. 